You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God help us that we wouldn't be so task-oriented that we forget to build real humanitarian concern into our work and our field of ministry. I mean, after all, the essence of Christianity is to what? Is to bless the people. So we, put, we shouldn't put an undue burden upon any person who's involved or engaged in Christian ministry. Remember the story of Mary and Martha's interaction with Jesus? Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teachings. She chose to be with him, as opposed to doing for him in that moment. There certainly are times to work, like her sister Martha did, but that story stresses the importance of resting in the presence of our Savior. Our works can honor him while helping others. But as Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, works should never take the place of relating to him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 as he begins his message, A Foolish Vow. want to, as we begin, to consider Saul's reaction to all of what had just happened. So the disturbance in the Philistine camp aroused the watchmen in the city of Gibeah. They were perplexed. Let's go on now, verses 16 and 17. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah, of Benjamin, looked and there was the multitude melting away, that is the Philistines, They're running in every direction. They're actually running for their lives. And they went here, and they went there. And then verse 17, Then Saul said to the people, Who were with him? So Saul didn't even know what was going on. He was just as confused as everybody else and perplexed. He didn't know that his son son Jonathan and his armor bearer had gone up to the the Philistine uh, garrison. He had absolutely no clue. So that's why we read in verse 17. Then Saul said to the people, who were with him? Now call the roll. This is the way that they were going to determine who it was that had gone up uh, to fight against these Philistines. Now call the roll and see who had gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, they found out that Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Now, This phrase here, call the roll, 
I just want to mention that this was useless. Saul should have never even uh, required about who it was that went up to fight against the Philistines. This was useless at the moment. You see, Saul should have at that time gone up and fight uh, alongside of his son Jonathan against the Philistines because this was a strategic moment. But instead, he was probably more worried about who was leading the battle and who would get the credit for the victory. And thus, the call for the uh, role here, according to uh, verse uh, 17. Well, again, they didn't know about Jonathan's adventure in faith. Remember, that was the title of last Sunday's message, Adventures in Faith. And all they could see was what seemed to be the Philistines retreating before some powerful force. Now let's pick up in verses 18 and 19. Let's go back to our text. Verse 18. And Saul said to Ahijah, and Ahijah was the uh, priest at that uh, time, Saul said uh, to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. And now it happened, while Saul talked to the priest, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase to Saul, said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Now I want to draw your attention to, before we move on in our text here, two phrases that are very suggestive. The first of which is recorded for us in verse 18. Notice Saul cries out, and requires that they bring the ark of God here. Do you see that there in verse 18? Now this was also a useless exercise as well. You see, Saul is probably trying to look spiritual at this uh, time. But then there was nothing to seek God about. Remember, that was the reason why he wanted and called for the ark of the covenant. There was nothing to seek God about. This is a time to go, uh, this is not the time to go aside and pray. There, uh, rather, this was the time to fight. This was the time to gird himself with the sword and get out there and fight against the Philistines. But Saul didn't know what time it was. He didn't have a clue. So that's the first phrase that I wanted to draw your attention to, bring the ark of God here and what was actually behind that request. And then also in verse 19, another phrase, withdraw your hand. Now notice he's referring to Ahijah, who was the priest. Now what does this refer to? Well, this meant stop seeking an answer from God. You see, Saul, again, he didn't know what to do. He was at this point pretty much shut down, confused. And he didn't know if he should go forward and fight in this uh, battle. And thus he wanted to seek God and for his uh, counsel and leading and direction. So this phrase, withdraw your hand, this meant stop seeking an answer from God. Referring to the Urim and Thummim, which were held in a pouch in the priest's breastplate. Now, these were instruments that were used to ascertain answers from God. A little bit of background. Now, we've talked about this before. A little bit of background. 
First of all, the names Urim and Thummim mean literally lights and perfections. Now, we aren't really sure what they were or how they were used. Most think that they were a pair of stones, one light, the other dark, and each stone indicated a yes or a no from God. And so the high priest would ask God a question. He would reach into his breastplate and pull out either a yes or a no stone. So those are just some of the backgrounds concerning what the Urim and Thummim was all about. But once again, Saul, notice, withdraw your uh, hand here. And so I guess he's ready to to go out. I I guess at at this point uh, he's ready uh, to move. Again, he didn't know about Jonathan's faith. He was a little confused. He was a little perplexed. But Saul uh, was so perplexed that he called for Ahijah, the priest, that he might determine the cause of this commotion by inquiring of the Lord. Uh, Once again, using the Urim and Thummim. But before he could consult the Lord, Saul changed his mind and decided to attack the Philistine forces. Okay, finally he's got it right. But notice he says, withdraw your hand, or literally stop seeking answers from God. Now, because of this action, Ahijah, the priest, his rank and position had been slighted. And he actually, at this time, lost face before the people. And obviously, he didn't like this. Well, later on, as we will discover, he looked for an opportunity to reassert his authority, and he actually did so. Verse 36, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But egotistically, and playing a part in Saul's decision-making processes, which resulted in a further delay preventing Israel from capitalizing on the victory that had been given to them by God. Well, anyway, let's pick up in the story now, verses 20 through 23. And there we read, Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled. Okay, finally, Saul jumps on the bandwagon, uh, comes alongside of his uh, son Jonathan and the armor-bearer, and they also go to battle. He rallies the troops. And they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, that is, the Philistines against one another, and there was very great confusion. This was all God's doing. Moreover, the Hebrews, who were with the Philistines before that time, now remember, as I had said, the, uh, there were uh, Jews who had actually become servants to the Philistines, who at this time were also living in those tents there in the garrison of the Philistines. So they also joined Saul at this uh, time. And that's the reference to that there in verse uh, 21. Who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, these Hebrew servants of the Philistines. They also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had been hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, afraid of the Philistines, the great company that they had gotten together to fight against Israel. Uh, We were told that they hid themselves in the caves and the caverns, remember last time. They also followed hard 
after the Philistines in the battle. And so the result of all of this was, verse 23, and so the Lord saved Israel that day, and then the battle shifted to Beth uh, Haven. Okay, and so in changing his mind, that is Saul, about consulting the Lord, Saul felt as if it was time, time was of the essence, and thus he rallied the men and pursued the retreating enemy. The enemy retreated to the nearest Philistine city, where Israel, we are told here, followed hard. Now, Josephus, who is the uh, Jewish historian that we often refer to, gives us some additional information concerning this battle. And in his writings, he tells us that 60,000 Philistines were killed in this uh, battle. But once again, the Bible doesn't give us any of the particulars. Simply, the Bible describing the success of Israel that day declares, once again, go back to verse 23, and so the Lord saved Israel that day. Okay, so I want you to think about this. The Israelites had gone to sleep the night before, not knowing what tomorrow would bring. They were feeble in mind and spirit. Remember, they were hiding in caves and caverns in the rocks. They considered their enemy, the Philistines, invincible. But Jonathan's brave actions demonstrated that the Lord does not favor those with superior weapons. I mean, remember the Israelites, the only weapons that they had were farming implements, right? Uh, those implements that they used to farm their uh, lands. They had no swords, they had no spears, they had no uh, shields, they had no uh, chariots. But the Lord does not favor those with superior weapons, but instead honors those who trust in him. Notice in verse uh, 6, and, and this was really what was behind Jonathan's faith in God. He knew certain things about God. Notice in verse 6, and we talked about this last time, in the latter part of verse 6 here in chapter 15, this was uh, Jonathan's uh, conclusion. Uh, there we are uh, told in verse uh, 6 of chapter uh, 14, I'm sorry, in verse, four, uh, verse 6, chapter 14, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And Jonathan was absolutely right. You know, as a sister text to this verse that's recorded here for us in verse 6, I couldn't help but think of what is recorded for us in the book of Zechariah in chapter uh, 4 and verse 6 where there the prophet tells us, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. And so this story should reinforce our thoughts, should remind us that the only thing that can limit God's power is our unbelief. So what are you facing presently? Does your particular situation seem as if it's impossible? Remember, there's nothing impossible for God. Remember that text of Scripture that I often quote. It's recorded first in the 30th Psalm in verse 5. Weeping may endure 
for a night, but joy comes in the what? The morning. Now, in the remainder of this chapter, we really begin to see the digression in Saul's character, his impulsiveness and pride. I mean, things at this point actually change on a dime quickly. I mean, when you consider what we are about to read in comparison to what we've already known about Saul prior to his being anointed as Israel's first king, remember back in chapter 11, as he rallied Israel against Nahash, the Ammonite, and his army. And he solidly defeated them. And then in turn, rather than taking the credit for that, he gave the credit where the credit was due, all unto God. And so when we're first introduced to Saul by those commendable uh, virtues that he had possessed. But now, as I've mentioned, things begin to digress quite uh, quickly. And so the writer, from this point going forward, enlarges upon the events that had taken place earlier in the day. Let's go back to our text now, verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, the Philistines, and so none of the people tasted food. So the Israelites continued in hot pursuit of the uh, Philistines. Now, uh, something that I want you uh, to, uh, to take note of. First of all, Saul places the people under a foolish oath, which again uh, is really what this message is all about. And also I want you to remember that soldiers in that day had to maintain themselves. They had to provide for their own food. The nation didn't provide for the armies of Israel they had to provide food for themselves. Their compensation, the remuneration, came from the spoils of war. And so when they would conquer an enemy, they would take the spoils and they would divvy it up, and, and that's how that they provided for their own uh, personal uh, needs. Here, Saul, notice, according to verse 24, wanted everyone to devote themselves unreservedly to the destruction of the enemy. And notice his motivation is more personal than national. Notice we are told there in that verse that he wanted vengeance. You see that word vengeance there in verse 24? You see, he wanted to be avenged for the insults he felt had been heaped upon him during the Philistine occupation. He cared nothing about his troops. He cared nothing that his troops hadn't eaten. Remember, they had already been engaged in this battle against the Philistines for quite a while. They needed some refreshment. They needed some food. They re needed to regenerize uh, re uh, themselves. So on Saul's part, this is a shameful abuse of power. And so I think we can rightfully conclude that Saul is no longer prompted by the spirit of God, he coerced them into abstaining from food for the rest of the uh, day. 
And you know what? This is what we should take away from this, particularly those of us who are in leadership within the church. God help us that we wouldn't be so task-oriented, you know, so determined to get a certain task or job uh, done, some ministry need taken care of. You know, so God help us that we wouldn't be so task-oriented that we forget to build real humanitarian concern into our work and our field of ministry. I mean, after all, the essence of Christianity is to what? Is to bless the people. So we, put in, we shouldn't put an undue burden upon any person who's involved or engaged in Christian ministry. But nevertheless, that wasn't the case with Saul. Saul's pronoun- uh, pronouncement of this oath, this curse, was designed to put them in fear of himself and not God. Now, how do we explain this? You know, how, I mean, there's such a, a dramatic a change that comes over Saul at this time. How do we explain this? How is it that he's more concerned about his own needs and affairs than he is about uh, the people of, of God? Well, it's quite possible, the answer to that question, Saul was feeling the effects of Samuel's words because of his disobedience. Let's revisit that. Let's go back quickly to chapter 13 for a moment. In chapter 13 and verses 13 and 14, remember it was during the time when uh, Samuel had told and instructed Saul to wait on him for seven days, and then he would come down, and before they were to go out and fight against the Ammonites and the Ammonite uh, king, Nahash, he was going to offer a sacrifice, and he was going to make sure that the army of Israel were prepared spiritually to go forth in battle. And, and the truth of the matter is that that was more important than, than having the weaponry and the numbers of people to, to fight against these Ammonites. Uh, Saul should have been more concerned that his troops were prepared spiritually to go out and fight against the enemy. Now, what does that tell us? I think that there's a personal application for each and every one of us. Because remember, uh, the battles that we fight are of the spiritual sort. And our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons that we choose to fight with is prayer, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, our feet shod with the gospel of, of peace, right? This is our weapon tree. So Samuel understood that. He recognized that. But what did Saul do? Well, he couldn't wait any longer. And so he took it upon himself to offer that sacrifice, which wasn't his right. He was a king. He wasn't a priest. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David. 
1 Samuel's book of action and adventure, but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh